It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a great weekend. I did. I hope you were able to enjoy at least one of those days. Uh, the weather was uh, pretty bad on Saturday through most of the Northeast, but you're listening to us around the country. Isaiah Washington's going to be with us, the outstanding actor and now Fox Nation host. Look forward to hearing from him about his brand new series and talk about the climate in America right now when it comes to race relations. Uh, we know that is prevailing talk, talk, and I thought that was going to be the theme over the next few months, but it wasn't. It's all about now law enforcement, the enemy, and sadly the pandemic that we just can't shake. Uh, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Well, I think you have to look at the big picture if you're a player. Uh, number one, if the players, if the season's canceled, they're going to lose $2 billion in the next couple of years. So I think that's the main reason they have to play, if it's possible. And it's not just basketball, Charles Barkley. It's everywhere. What he said really resonates with me. I'll share it with you. Sports, the most critical time in modern pro sports history, really since World War II. How we can find a way to play safely and smartly. I'll take a look. Number two. There's no support for the men and women of the New York City Police Department. Every week we're hearing something from City Hall regarding a new policing model, which clearly is not working. They're not doing anything for anyone. People feel like there's no law enforcement. There's no law and order in the streets. I can't blame them. Uh, There isn't. Uh, They pull back. They want to worry about their own lives, their own careers, and they're ticked off. Because they're the reason why everyone's angry. They're the reason why race relations aren't uh, perfect uh, after 255 years. Uh, that is uh, law and, it's law and order right now. By the way, that was Errol, Errol Toulon of Suffolk County, New York. He's a sheriff there. Law and disorder. City to city, we're seeing the result of vilifying law enforcement as New York City begins to look a lot like Chicago as shooting surge. Number one. We are all very concerned about what the virus is doing right now. We are in a much better place than we were in April because of a lot of things. This is not uh, out of control, but it requires a a lot of effort, and everybody's going to have to do their part. Admiral Brett Juror, doctor and admiral, obviously, working with the task force trying to battle corona, the COVID crisis, where it's at and what we need and why we have to get our schools to open. We'll look at what other countries are doing and what's working. So, first off, it's not good as we look in the South. We have to get more tests, and we got to get the results quicker. Lines should not be an issue now. But I look in Houston, and it's an issue. What's with the antibody test? Does anyone know why I took it, why you took it? And if you pass the antibody test and you have the antibodies, where's the situation, where's the protocol to give plasma? My son, for example, has the antibodies, so he tried to give plasma. He was showing me the circuitous route. He finally threw up his hand and said, I guess I'm not going to give it. The PPE. Is this really an issue still with masks, with gloves, with shields? I mean, come on. It's been four or five months. These states and cities should be just as ticked off and embarrassed as the federal government. Ten days to wait for a test result and you want us to attack hotspots? 
Are you kidding? For some reason, it's working in Seattle. Uh, they partnered with the University of Washington and able to maintain a free, unrestricted testing regime. They get answers in one to two days. Why can't that happen? I know when I went to the White House and I went to another White House event, I got 15 minutes. And they say, well, the 15-minute tests aren't as accurate as the four. I'm, okay, don't worry about it. If you give me 15-minute test and it's close to accurate, I'm fine. If it's close to get to, if it's close enough to get to the president, if he could do it every day, can't we? The Abbott test should be everywhere. What's going on? I don't get it. In Texas, new cases for the last seven days. Record hospitalization, 12 straight days. Seven states, single day, death records this week. Now, the death toll, uh, the death ratio, a lot less. I'll give you that. 15,000 people testing positive in Florida. That's a problem. You don't need me to tell you that. Having said everything, here's Tom Inglesby on Fox News Sunday. Yeah, he is a little down on where we're at right now. Cut 10. It's really serious. I think the country is not in a good place with respect to COVID right now. I think it's, of course, there are places in the country where there are states doing well. But as you said, across the South and in California and in a variety of other states, we're having sharp increases in cases, sharp increases in hospitalizations and ventilator use, and now increases in deaths. It blows me away that we're still using ventilators to get things get that bad because ventilators are basically, uh, it's over. You're on them. Very small, and only 20% get off them. So uh, we are still using them. Now, the administration is not panicked. Here's the admiral. Cut three. There's no downside to wearing a mask. Uh, I'm a pediatric ICU physician. I wore a mask 10 hours a day uh, for many, many years. So we don't believe there's a downside to it. Now, there are very selective people who feel uncomfortable with it. But again, you don't have to wear it 24-7. It's really when you're not around your, within your home, when you're out in a public space and you can't physically distance. If you're outside taking a walk and you're not close to someone, you don't need to wear a mask. So there is no medical reason. Uh, except for maybe one in a million, uh, that people can't wear a mask according to the guidelines we have. So I laugh that everyone walks around militant. How dare you not wear a mask? We made it political. I don't even think it's been made political. I don't know who said this. Uh, Democrats and Republicans, no one wants to wear a mask that I know of in life, except Michael Jackson. We used to watch him and say, what is he doing? We always watch it in China. We thought it was all the smog. Who can blame them? But we were told masks can only help if you are... If you are you sick, if you had the virus, if you wear a mask, you'd stop someone else from getting the virus. Now we're told it could prevent you from getting virus. Really? When did that happen? Anthony Fauci says it helps you stay safe. It helps other people stay safe. When did that happen? You just changed the rules again. And Admiral, uh, excuse me, uh, Jerome Adams, who's Surgeon General, I like him. But the conflicting messages that we got from him, who's a spokesperson for where the CDC stands on this, have really did damage. Now, I, I don't know how it's all going to end up. As of today, we should all wear masks. Okay. I don't know what I'm going to be saying in August from the experts telling me what to say. But you remember, Jerome Adams said this, and he sat down and he got it on Face the Nation. And, you know, Margaret Brennan clearly has a problem with the Trump administration, but here I think she's right. Cut one. At the beginning of April is when the administration started telling the public to wear masks. But just the last time you were with us here on Face the Nation, March 8th, you said this. And stay safe by washing your hands, by covering your cough, by staying home if you're sick. Masks do not work for the general public in preventing them from getting coronavirus. Right. And 
The week before that, you tweeted in all caps, seriously, people stop buying masks. You said they were not effective. Do you regret saying that? Well, it's important for people to understand that once upon a time, we prescribed cigarettes for asthmatics and leeches and cocaine and heroin for people as medical treatments. When we learn better, we do better. Is that the stupidest answer, the craziest answer you've ever given? Now, Jerome Adams just say, here's who told me not to wear masks, and this is where I got it from, or else he just made it up. He said the same thing to me. I was the first one to ask him. Three days later, Margaret Brennan asked him, and then he tweeted out, don't wear masks. So people say, well, you're making it political. Democrats wear masks and Republicans don't. No, we don't. And don't blame the president. It's not the administration's policy. That is the Surgeon General. And if the Surgeon General is being told by the president, make something up and destroy your reputation for me, I don't think anyone's made that claim yet. So all our experts, all the years of schooling, all the study of different diseases and pandemics, we get wash your hands, wear a mask, stay six feet away. Great. So the other things happening at the same time is our economy's crashing, livelihoods are being destroyed, kids are not going to school. And they have to go to school. Now, for people to say, why would you put your kids in danger? For people to say, why would you put teachers in danger? You have no choice. Put them in essential workers. People cleaning the subways right now are in danger. Uh, people working the Long Island Railroad as conductors are in danger, Long Island or any railroad. Uh, people driving buses all across the country are in danger, but they're looked at as essential workers. We're looked at as essential workers. Technically, I um, take the train home. I take the subway to the train before that. I walk in the city. I'm in danger. Not a lot, but I'm in danger. This was the epicenter. Now there were no deaths at all, but I was still coming here as of the last month. All the guys here, I'm only coming for a month. Uh, Eric and, uh, and Justin have been coming back and forth, never left the city. So they were in danger. They were looked at as essential workers. There's risk. So what you do is you find out what other countries are doing. And then you try to emulate those other countries. Uh, for example, Israel, the most disciplined country on the planet, I would argue, is having a lot of problems since and getting kids back to school. Having a lot of problems. The numbers are going through the roof. They got to re-crack down, but not shut down. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's approval rating has dropped 25 points, even though he's been there for decades. He, because they're saying, "Why are you doing this?" Well, the schools weren't prepared properly or effectively. So schools need to circulate fresh air. We know that. They need filtered air. That's why the malls are open. They found a way to filter the air. That according to the University of Arizona. So let's find a way to do that. School nurses will also need protective equipment like gloves, gowns, and N95 masks. Good. That should go to every school. If you need money, we'll get you the money. Uh, uh, Israel closed the entire school for a single case. Others taking the more targeted approach. Where is it working? Okay. It is working in other countries. And as those other countries are Germany and Norway, reopen schools with the strongest precautions, such as distancing and masking. And as I mentioned, when Israel reopened, they did the same thing, but it didn't work. In Connecticut, K-12 be required to wear masks. Many, K-12, many districts are attempting to change that structure of the week to make classrooms less crowded. All right, let's see what you need to do. In Norway, Belgium, Switzerland, Denmark, Greece, they've opened up schools. In, in Belgium, they've brought back students in shifts. Find out how it worked. Listen, there's a terror attack. Famously, Ray Kelly, the police commissioner here, 
formed his own counterterror task force, and he would put his officers into Sudan. He would put his officers into Saudi Arabia, into Egypt, wherever the attack was, study it. Find out the material they use, find out who did it, find out their background, find out if there are people here in links to New York. Why can't we be sending people to these countries or sending up Zoom calls to see video, live video, to see how these schools are doing it? How are they walking through the halls? How are they able to maybe lengthen the day? Maybe we can get teachers' assistants to be teachers and give them temporary certifications until January when we start getting a vaccination. And then we start fanning people out where, you know, maybe uh, teachers don't have to sit in study hall. Maybe we're able to use uh, aides, teachers' aides to do that. You know this stuff better than I'll know this stuff. You guys are the experts. Now, the teachers that I know never do anything just to their job. They're always going above and beyond, whether it's answering emails at night or whether it's taking money in their own pocket to buy uh, essentials for their school or to set up bulletin boards or to make sure the kids have the self-esteem they need. I'm talking about 99% of the teachers. You tell them, we need to go back to school. How do we do it to make you feel comfortable? They will do it. That's got to be the attitude. I don't know why this is political. It doesn't have to be political. The reason why the president said it is because he's convinced that people are keeping school touched down until after November to make sure that everyone gets a sense that we got to change leadership, whether it's your U.S. senator, your town councilman, or the president of the United States. That's why he brought it up. And he says, you're not going to do it? Fine. The federal funding that we give, we're going to hold it back. But if you have a sincere effort, and you put together protocols, and for some reason your city, your town, becomes a hotspot. The president's not saying go to school anyway. Have hotspot, clean teams, sanitation teams. When two or three or four or five kids in a certain class or a certain grade or a certain hall or a certain school test positive, one day off, clean it out. Tell me your policy. We'll give you the expert. Let's get it done. That's the problem. There's not that attitude of gets, get it done. It's cower and be scared. I don't think that works. I want to hear what you have to say. one 408 7669 I also want to talk to you about sports. This is a critical time. Two MLS teams have called it quits. Uh, baseball is reporting for duty. The best stopper in the game is tested positive. Yankees don't complain. Push forward. That's what you got to do. With, for the MLS teams, they should go to the USL teams, AAA. Push forward. In basketball, you lose a bunch of guys, you got a a D-League team or G-League team, grab some players, move forward. That's where it's got to be. Much like wartime. You lose Ted Williams to become a fighter pilot in World War II or Korea, Red Sox had to push forward. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As many of you know from your own... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work, is something to be proud of. 
It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, I think you have to look at the big picture if you're a player. Uh, number one, if the players, if the season's canceled, they're going to lose $2 billion in the next couple of years. Uh, and that's a lot of money for these players. That they could, and obviously, that's their money, and also they could put it back in their communities. So I think that's the main reason they have to play, if it's possible. Uh, Charles Barkley uh, speaking out about why they're playing. Money has to do with it. Sure. I, I think they're going to go in a bubble into Orlando, and I think they're uh, already complaining, uh, or at least the WNBA is in adverse conditions. I have no idea why the food's so bad. That's no excuse for that. Come on, guys. You're loaded. The league is doing well. At least give these um, these men a chance to eat properly. But I love what some of the players are being asked, and they said, you understand. This is fine for us. Most of us come from humble beginnings. We're able to pick up, uh, deal with anything. Rajon Rondo, uh, the 34-year-old um, point guard that's averaged about seven points a game for the Lakers, complained. He said it's like a Motel 6. I looked at the picture. The, it looks fine. But they do have to play. Uh Barkley also talked about what he's afraid of. The fact that they can wear slogans on their back is going to be very polarizing. And what if someone wants to put on their back Blue Lives Matter? And the controversy that happened over the weekend with Senator Josh Hawley saying to the NBA, what if they put something like Free Hong Kong on the back of their banner? They would never do it because they're so concerned about alienating the Chinese market. That doesn't take courage. Barkley sees the problem. Cut 54. What's happening now, uh, this, it, we turn it into a circus. Uh, you know, we're going to spend all our time, instead of talking about racial equality and racial justice and economic justice, we spend all our time worried about who's kneeling and who's not kneeling, uh, what what things are being said on buses, uh, what's being said on jerseys. I think we're missing the point. Uh, we need uh, police reform. We need prison reform. Uh, and we need uh, those are number two, one and two things we need to focus on. Uh, we need the cops. We need the good cops out there policing the bad cops. Like I say, we need obviously we need police reform and prison reform. But 
the media, you know, we all got a job to do, and they're going to spend all their time on what's on somebody's jersey and what's on the buses and who's kneeling and who's not kneeling, and that's going to defeat the purpose. That's a guy who was brought up in Birmingham, Alabama. No one gave him anything. He earned it. Uh, Andrew, listening in Indiana. Andrew, uh, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yeah, hi, Brian. Uh, I was just calling in because I wanted to uh, comment on the school situation. Um, I've currently raised seven children, so when they shut down the schools, it it really impacts us, not only with the education, but um, with the food and all that. And it, it, it puts a big impact on it. And I think that they do need to be cautious, but they need to open up these schools, whether Absolutely. it's part-time or whether it's a few hours a day so they can rotate them in to keep the social distancing. But the longer they keep these schools shut down, the harder it is going to be for the kids. Not and and that's what the president's saying. He's not saying take a risk. For Nancy Pelosi to say he doesn't care about the welfare of children or teachers, that, that's comic book. That's childish. Uh, Andrew, I, I salute you for seven kids. That's amazing. Back with more calls. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There's nothing in the data that suggests that kids being in school is in any way dangerous. We know that children uh, contract and uh, have the virus at far lower incidence than any other part of the population. And we know that other countries around the world have reopened their schools and have done so successfully and safely. And kids there are going back to school every day. But I do say Betsy DeVos has to have answers when she was on with Dana Bash. And that was Betsy DeVos, Secretary of Education. Um, I like her. But when, when, Dana, uh, when Dana Bash is asking on CNN, you know they're going to be trying to get any one thing. What should it look like in schools? What should they? What are some of the main things that you like to see happen no matter how big or small the school district is? What should parents wear? You've got to have answers. And it doesn't mean you've got to worry about you, you have to know what Detroit needs as opposed to Memphis. But the fact that she had no answers on the distancing and the fact is I was watching a CNN report. I learned more from that CNN report than I did from the Betsy DeVos interview where in other countries they set up these little boxes that just kind of box the kids in their desk, which doesn't look bad. It looks like it's uh, what they do for SATs or, or standardized tests to make sure kids don't cheat. And the kids go, hey, you know what? It helps me concentrate. And the kids aren't six feet apart. And I believe that was a South uh, Asian uh, country. And I think that that's what you do. Let's think tank it. Let's not politicize it. So the thing is, we know how dangerous it could be uh, to open up uh, the schools. But it could be dangerous mainly for the, mainly for the teachers, uh, for the students. It's not that dangerous. There are kids, there are 400, I did not know this, but in 2018 to 19, the school year, 480 kids died by the flu. 480. So I don't think we're going to, you know, I hope we don't lose one. But if you have the flu, no one says, well, there's a flu in my school. I'm not putting, bringing my kids to school. I'm going to put them on Zoom. 
So I think you should explain to the kids, uh, this is a very perilous time in our country, but we think it's important for you to go to school. you got to really listen to the teacher if they're in fourth, fifth, sixth grade. This isn't one of those things where if, don't forget to bring your sneakers for gym. Every day you got to have a mask. not going to let you in. you got to keep it on. you got to keep your distance. you got to walk in the halls this way. I've seen it done. We've all done it. You can remember back to your grammar school days. We had certain teachers that would make you walk in a perfect line uh, with a certain amount of distance, and other teachers, it didn't matter. Well, they all got to be disciplined now. So the big challenge would be the place in Texas, a bit in Houston, uh, in, in cities like Houston, and in states now like California, Congressman Michael Waltz, was on Fox and Friends this weekend, and he talked about uh, the rising uh, coronavirus cases, the challenges, uh, and the challenges that Florida will have, and that's important. But Congressman Matt Gates talked to Justice Janine about the reasons and how to reopen schools in that state. Cut 18. We've seen a real impact to learning and learning gains as a consequence of coronavirus. Digital learning is not an end-all, be-all. And when you don't have in-person instruction for some students, there really is an impact. So we've seen innovations like block scheduling, for example, used before. But in Florida, we're going to use sentinel testing and surveillance testing to make sure that we catch outbreaks sooner. And then we're going to improve the physical plant of schools so that we have more hand-washing stations and sanitation stations, because ultimately, we We've got to protect not only the students, but we've got to protect the teachers and instructors as well. But the answer isn't just to wave the white flag of surrender. Instead, we should innovate. We should ensure that we've got more access to charter schools and private schools and even homeschooling. That'll take some of the pressure off of public schools and allow us to achieve uh, our learning objectives. Joseph, listening in Tennessee, uh, Joseph, you're in a situation where you're raising two grandsons. Yes, sir, I am. And uh a 16 and 13 year old and my 13 year old told me two days ago he said papa he said i want to go back to school and they need this they need to socialize with kids their own age they need to be around them i mean it's it's ridiculous that they can't figure this out this is the greatest country on earth and it's like they they don't know what they're doing it's and excuse my words here but it's like they they have their hands on their butts and somebody draws them a map and they still can't figure it out and it's ridiculous that the way they're they're treating this it's like uh they don't know what to do and like i said this is the greatest country on earth and and no one can figure anything out and it's it's stupid i mean there's a way to get these kids back in school and they got to get back in school i mean this is peril if if they don't what's going to happen it's going to just be chaos and um, well they didn't learn anything in the spring do you ever talk to these kids who are on zoom and they're they're taking home they didn't learn anything and and they said it i have a college kid and one a junior in high school and they both said, uh, we're not learning anything. And, and, you know, you take the home tests and uh, then I'm paying the, all this money for a semester at school. And they go, you can take a pass fail if you want. I go, really? Pass fail in your major? What's the point? Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, like I said, they get the report cards in this year and I looked at them and it didn't say pass or fail. And so I talked to the principal and it's on credits now. It's the uh, High school needs 24 credits to graduate. My 16-year-old has 15 and a half. He said he's perfect. He's right there where he needs to be. And my uh, uh, seventh grader that's going into eighth grade this year, uh, it didn't say anything about passing, and I talked to the principal there. He said, yeah, he passed. He's good. Don't worry about it. But still, it's the point of 
being able to for them to come home and do their homework and to interact with their teachers, especially eighth graders or seventh graders, any grader, you know, if they don't understand something, they can go up to the teacher and talk to them and say, look, I don't completely understand this. Can you explain it? They can't do that over a computer. Oh, I know. I you know. know. And the thing is, I've, and, I've t- I have two teachers in my family. They can't get yes. uh, kids to sit. And a lot of them just don't uh, ever yeah. show up. And the parents don't email back when they say, listen, we haven't seen your kid in three days. They don't email back. Now, they could be well-meaning parents, but they're used to just, hey, my kid was in school today. Let me see that report card. There's a problem. Well, my kid was in school. They got to get somebody to oversee him, but they're not looking at their work. And, and, and one of them is a third-grade teacher. Can you imagine third grade making a kid sit for six hours? Forget it. Uh, and thanks so much for the call, Joe, and thanks for what you're doing with your two grandkids. Victoria, listen on WDBO in Orange County, Florida. Victoria. Hey, Brian. I just wanted to say I totally agree with you. We do need to get these kids back to school, but we need it safely. And uh, that's what we did here in, in Orange County. Our superintendent did a think tank, got all these suggestions. I mean, and she posted it, it was like thousands. But if you look at the polls that they put up, it, it, I mean, no clear winner in the polls, I'll tell you that much. But the highest percentage for those were get the kids back and we'll do it daily. And then we parents responsible for them following the rules. Uh, if the parents feel sick, obviously stay away from your kids, you know what I mean? Uh, I know, I know. But it's a hot spot right now. Uh, Orange County, Florida, what's it like in your town? Well, I live on the east side. It's not that bad. It's mostly hitting the west side and middle. It's, it's. I mean, the numbers, in my opinion, I think the numbers are skewed here in Orange County because, like Dr. Pino, our um, health examiner, said, these tests are taking so long to come back. So if we're seeing 15,000 like we saw yesterday, that means from six to nine days ago, you get what I'm saying? Because our labs are so backed up because we're testing hundreds of thousands of people. You know, know what I mean? That's why so the I numbers think these are... Abbott tests have to be used. There's a machine. You do the swab, it goes into the machine. In 15 minutes, you get your answer. And even if it's a little bit less accurate, I'll take a little bit less accurate for speed. Because, okay, listen, I don't think I'm positive. I like to make another test. Fine, sign up for that other test. But at least we have a more accurate, quick answer. Okay, we got to hit Orange County. It's hot right now. We got to hit Miami Dade. It's hot right now. We mm-hmm. got to be able to blitz it there. We got to really crack down, even on the outdoor dining, perhaps. So we'll look out for those high schools and those grammar schools because I'm getting a bunch of positive tests back. But now they're so delayed. It, it's uh, mm-hmm. I, I blame everybody from local to the federal uh, for this. It is still happening in July. In July, so frustrating. Um, Brian, listening to WRCN in Long Island. Brian, hey Brian, I, I think I'm a little confused with this. I, I, I don't know if it's just fear monitoring, but I mean, this is expected. We, we, it's an infectious disease, and rapidly. Uh, it, it, um, expanding infectious disease. We knew the numbers were going to go up. The whole plan was to protect people that needed the protection. And, you know, now we know to social distance. Now we know to protect ourselves. Now we know to be careful and to be hygienic. And eventually, you know, when, when we get a, a better picture, hopefully we get a better grasp on it. But, but to sit there and think that, that the numbers aren't going to continue to go up, I, I feel like people are living in a fantasy land or they have, they have an agenda. And frankly, politicizing 
a disease, a, um, a, a pandemic that's, that's terrorizing our country right now and putting people out of work and, and make, making people uh, sick? Because it, it's making people sick in other ways, Brian. I mean, p- people are getting mentally sick. Kids aren't getting oh, absolutely. the care that they They got to go to school. You, know, you agree, Brian? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It, 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 it's ridiculous. And, and uh, I think, I think it's, it's very important for kids to be out there. I know, gotcha. uh, you know, my little ones, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a difference with them, you know, not being able to, to see, you know, their grandparents and stuff. And, but most importantly, they got to get to school. They got to get to school. Th- thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. And everyone at WRCN, they're so supportive. Um, so listen, we come back, we're going to go into the uh, celebrity world. He's going to be part of our network, Fox Nation, Isaiah Washington. You saw him, uh, Grey's Anatomy for years and so many other things. He's got a brand new show. He's going to be joining us also talking about race relations in America. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Isaiah Washington should be with us shortly, but uh, just thank you so much for uh, listening to the show. We appreciate it. I do want to take this time to go over a little about this uh, this thing called the 2020 election. So CBS has this poll, and the poll shows the president's trailing in Arizona, up by one in Texas, and trailing in Florida. Okay. But the poll also reveals that he's closing the gap in all three, and I don't see any scenario, especially with this law enforcement trend, that he's going to have a problem in Texas, uh, especially when you cannot defend the McCoskeys who stood in their stoop trying to stop rioters from breaking through their house and ransacking their dwelling, and the fact that they had illegal guns, now they're being condemned. And to me, that doesn't seem like it would fly in Texas. Joining us now, a man who grew up in Texas, knows all about the mindset and what it takes to survive there. Isaiah Washington, uh, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, man, what's going on? How you doing? I almost talked to you on the morning show, but you, you were to talk to Jedediah, so I got you now. So congratulations <laughs> on your brand new Fox Nation show. It's uh, hey, Isaiah man. Washington cooks meals and shares stories with celebrities and everyday Americans. So uh, good job. I didn't even know that was a passion of yours. It has been for a long time. Actually, inspired by my wife, we uh, had many, many uh, uh, guests from all walks of life here in Los Angeles several years ago, um, and it turned out to be what we call Friday night dinners. And, and then the discovery of that, of us preparing these great meals, seven uh, course meals, and pairing them with our wines from our sommelier, we, we realized that people that don't know each other, never seen each other, probably would never meet each other right. anywhere else are sitting at our table having these extraordinary conversations and meetings of the minds and finding out over food and wine that they actually have more in common than they don't. And I'm talking about people that are multimillionaires and people that just, you know, work in our, our pharmacy that we were invited to the home. And, and that was the thing that inspired me, uh, those kinds of vibrations in the kitchen all over the world. And I said, you know what? Let me, let, let me pitch this to Fox Nation. I've had this idea for three years. Well, of course, Hollywood people didn't get it. I never responded to it. But Caitlin Scram, 
ticket to John Philly of Fox Nation, and here we are, man. I couldn't well, be more thrilled. That's awesome. So it's called, it's called Kitchen Talk, Isaiah Washington's Kitchen Talk. And one of the guys who's a great host um, that you uh, interviewed already, um, you had Roger La- uh, Loge. Um, you, you had a chance to talk to him. I saw, I saw the clip earlier. You have George Papadopoulos. And what you do is, uh, with the cooking and in the kitchen, it relaxes people. You get their real personality. It, you know, the, the, the wonderful uh, uh, technique that I love the most about the show, for those who drink, is the vino veritas. Anytime <laughs> somebody has a little wine, they tend to relax a little more. <laughs> I understand it. So, yeah, I, Isaiah, let's... That's been working very well. <laughs> so, yeah, so go on Fox Nation right now. I have a, a series, What Made America Great, and we rolled out four more features. So a lot of people are watching it because, sadly, a lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people are on furlough. Uh, a lot of actors like you, there's no production going on. So you have free time. How many... This is, this is why Fox Nation's booming right now. This programming's out there. Now you click on it with the smart TVs. And it makes it real easy, that app on your phone, on your iPad, or on your television. So, Isaiah, quick about you. Grew up in Texas. What kind of kid were you? Oh, man, I was, I was very, uh, uh, I was different as a kid. I, I, I was the kind of guy that enjoyed reading uh, the Archies, uh, National Lampoon, Mad. Uh, I love the dark humor. I still do. Uh, ironically, I didn't grow up with Marvel or DC Comics like most of my peers. Uh, I was always a guy of of the uh, not uh, just the, the the misfit. I think I was a happy little misfit. Really? <laughs> In Texas, yeah. yeah. When did, I, played, when, I love I love football though, but I couldn't play basketball. <laughs> so you were a football player. When did the when did your passion for acting come in? Oh my God, that didn't come in, man. Uh, actually, I started in, 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 in elementary, but didn't take it seriously. Uh, I had been taken out of my class in fifth grade to actually paint a mural of Santa Claus and his reindeers uh, on a huge wall. You remember in high school in Texas, we used to have to roll out this big brown paper, and uh, it was a huge mural, and I didn't go to class for a week. Uh, so apparently, I was a pretty strong and unique artist, but just didn't have it really nurtured in my family because you know, we were we were. We were not the richest people in the world. Uh, we were on, on welfare off and on here and there. My mom was a single mother. so. Uh, but I, I, my teachers took care of me and really knew that I was different in, in everything from history, current events. And they, they really nurtured me greatly in Houston in the 70s, believe it or not. Um, um, so I was just always sort of kind of taken care of in a, in a, in a very nice way. Um, when people recognized my talents and then when I started to play football, and that, that's when I really thrived. And by the time I got in the military, because I didn't get all the scholarships, I found out my first scandal that I didn't get a lot of the letters of interest because my coach was getting kicked back. So that was the first scandal I had ever been a part of. But it was good because I got a chance to travel. And because of that travel and meeting other people and being in their kitchens when I was in the military in Korea, Okinawa, and Japan, uh, that really started with me in, at the age of 19. And then I started playing ball, running track, and just doing plays, even when I was in the military. So this idea of me becoming an actor probably was in me before I really knew it. And it wasn't until 1986 where I really, really left the private sector and realized, you know what, I'm going to focus on this and started at Howard University at the ground level and doing plays for free and worked my way up. In fact, I didn't call myself an actor 
until after 10 years of doing it, according to how I was, I was being mentored. So it was, wow. uh, I feel like a journeyman now. Um, I, and it's been exciting. And we're getting some of your conversational ability now, which we're going to see on your series on Fox Nation. You're in Crooklyn, uh, Clockers, but everyone knows you from uh, Grey's Anatomy, and now they'll know you from Fox Nation. Isaiah, I look forward to seeing you in person soon. Congratulations on the series, and uh, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Go get him, Isaiah. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. We come to you uh, from New York City, which was once the epicenter of the coronavirus. Thankfully, it is not. But sadly, it is elsewhere, not in other countries, in this very country. Hard for hardly eradicated. We'll talk about that. And, of course, we're heard around the country. And we're, uh, we, of course, want to hear from you at one 408 7669 And if you want to ever, if you ever missed the show live, go to radio.com. You can hear us anywhere you travel to. Why are you hopping in our hopping in RVs, making it a uh, keeping it in America since we're banned from other countries and we're banning other countries because of the coronavirus. Also, if you ever missed the show and want to get on the podcast, get it on iTunes, get it on Pandora. You can get it on uh, iHeart as well. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Well, I think you have to look at the big picture if you're a player. Uh, number one, if the players, if the season's canceled, they're going to lose $2 billion in the next couple of years. So I think that's the main reason they have to play, if it's possible. Uh, that is Charles Barkley. He's uh, critical of the fact that they're playing, but understands why they're doing it. I give them, uh, I give sports all the credit in the world. Work it out, get the protocols down, but play. And that's what the MLS is doing. That's what baseball's prepared to do in a couple of weeks. That's what uh, basketball will do in 18 days. And that's what the NFL camp should start in one week. I hope they can do it, and we'll discuss it and why this political, those political statements and these cultural statements that they're giving the option to these players to, to have. Could boomerang. Number two. There's no support for the men and women of the New York City Police Department. Every week we're hearing something from City Hall regarding a new policing model, which clearly is not working. They're not doing anything for anyone. People feel like there's no law enforcement. There's no law and order in the streets. Uh, There you go. Uh, And I can't argue with them. That is the sheriff of Suffolk County, New York. Talk about law and disorder. City to city, we are seeing the result of vilifying law enforcement as New York City begins to look like Chicago as shooting surge surges. Number one. We are all very concerned about what the virus is doing right now. <clears throat> we are in a much better place than we were in April because of a lot of things. This is not uh, out of control, but it requires a, a lot of effort, and everybody's going to have to do their part. 
Uh, and that is true. That is Admiral Bren Juror. He is uh, talking about the COVID crisis, where it's at, what we need, and why we have to get our schools open. We'll look at what other countries are doing and what's working. With that, let's bring in New York Post's Michael Goodwin. He's got an incredible column this week, just so on the money. Remember Harper's did this story, how we have to stop the cancel culture. And mostly liberals authored it. Why? Because it's hitting them. It's hitting guys like Al Franken with the Me Too movement. It's hitting people uh, like Jimmy Fallon with uh, cancel him because of he addressed his Chris Rock on SNL. And Jimmy Kimmel, who did some outrageously distasteful uh, things on The Man Show, which made The Man Show The Man Show on Spike TV. Spike TV's not on, nor is The Man Show. But now they're bringing that stuff back. So he took the whole summer off. So they're saying we got to stop the political correctness. And guess what, Michael? You brought up a great point today. Not only should we stop it, the New York Times should lead it, shouldn't they? Well, good morning, Brian. Yes, uh, what I wrote about was the uh, long and deep connection of Confederates. The Confederacy, the Civil War Confederacy, has deep roots in the New York Times. And the Oaks Salzberger family, uh, they had uh, uh, at least uh, one woman, the the owner, uh, the mother of the patriarch of the paper, Adolf Oaks, his mother, was a, an avowed supporter of slavery. And she had a brother, and as I have recently learned, two cousins who served in the Confederacy. Confederate Army. She herself was suspected of being a spy, was caught smuggling medicine to the Confederates. But here now you have the New York Times uh, demonizing everybody who doesn't share its new taste for Black Lives Matter and its belief that every institution in America is corrupted by race and therefore must do exactly as the New York Times says, or they will be uh, demeaned as racist, sexist, homophobic, Islamophobic, whatever it is the New York Times wants to call you to cancel you. Uh, I wrote about how they, the, a Times story on Mount Rushmore just dismissed uh, Washington and Jefferson as slaveholders. Lincoln, it said, was late and slow on the emancipation. And Teddy Roosevelt tried to Christianize um, the American Indians. I mean, they just back of the hand, casually dismiss all these people say they have a complicated legacy. Well, I think it's time for the New York Times to come clean about its own legacy. Look into its own corporate vaults. Look into all of its archives. Talk to the family members about what they know. Because what we have had, by the Times' own definition, is something of a white supremacist organization run by a family, controlled by a trust, so that only the family gets to decide who are the who is the publisher. It has been six consecutive white men, uh, all of them of the same family. Now, who does that in modern America and then dares lecture other companies about its corporate governance, about its diversity? Right. Only the New York Times can get away with it. Michael, this is fantastic. And, and, and I did not know any of this. Uh, and that's my bad. You work there and, and, and you write about this. One of the headlines in that editorial was death penalty properly demanded in fiendish crime of nine burly Negroes. Really? Is yes, that OK? Should we now? Wait a second. We're condemning and taking down everything that John Wayne has accomplished in his incredible career and given. 
in USC and why didn't change the name of the airport because of one interview he gave to one magazine. How many headlines are like that? They celebrated the life of Jefferson Davis in 1906. Yes. And the first one you read was from the Chattanooga Times about the Scottsboro Boys case. Nine young uh, black teenagers falsely accused of rape in 1931 in Alabama. And it was it was an amazingly important case. Uh, and, of course, all of them were ultimately exonerated. But there you had the Chattanooga Times, owned by the same owner as the New York Times, calling for their death penalty. Uh, so I think the New York Times has a lot to explain, a lot to apologize for. And if it wants to lead this new movement of purity, okay, go right ahead. But play by the same standards. Apply the same purity test to your own background, and then perhaps you will be humbled and cured of your what I call the time supremacy delusion, is that they are perfect and everybody else is flawed. We're all flawed, Brian. We've all made mistakes. I think it's, you know, I don't have a problem uh, with people wanting to reform, but to do it uh, falsely in the sense that we are superior, I think that that's why I laid bare all of this sordid history which much of it has been out there. I mean, I didn't, I didn't discover new things, and most of it had been written about before in scattered family histories, etc. But in this new moment that we're living in, where the New York Times is holier than thou, I say, okay, here's what we know already, and there's more coming. I guarantee you there is more coming. Here's what we know already. How about you have some of your own medicine? Why don't you taste what it's like to sort of look at yourself in the mirror and see what you said and did in the past? Does it measure up? Are you really better than Abraham Lincoln on race? Are you really better than Washington and Jefferson and Roosevelt? I mean, dare you just put them all down with the back of your hand? You are that great and mighty and pure? I don't think so. And uh, the, uh, how do you say the last name? Oaks? Oaks, yeah, O-C-H-F. Yeah. So you talk about uh, Bertha, who is the wife of uh, Ju- uh, uh, Julius. She's the mother of the patriarch of the New York Times family. Right. Adolph Oaks is her son. She seemed remarkably uh, enamored with slavery. And she oh, was- yes, yes. She's, uh, both, of her, both of Oaks's parents came here as German-Jewish immigrants in the 1830s and 40s. She ended up in Natchez, Mississippi, uh, lived with an uncle. And this is in 1848 when she arrived, and she developed a fondness for slavery. Uh, she talked about it. She supported uh, the the, uh, the South in the Civil War. She was suspected of being a spy. She tried to smuggle medicines to the Confederate Army. Uh, she had a brother who served in the Confederate Army. I have recently discovered over the weekend, frankly, that she had two cousins who also served in the Confederate Army. So, And she made no bones about it. She was buried. Uh, she was a charter member of the Daughters of the Confederate Revol- uh, Confederacy. She was buried under the Confederate flag. She, she asked that it be draped on her coffin, and it was. Uh, she is still regarded as a daughter of the Confederacy. You look at the Find a Grave site. Uh, there are people who attach uh, Confederate flags to, to memorials to her still. 
so she is well regarded within the Confederate states or the Confederate uh, nation of uh, as being a, a great supporter of the South, and she was, and she made no bones about it. So for the New York Times to say that somehow we are better than everybody else, we will set the agenda for this country, we will tell you what is right and what is wrong, go right ahead. But let's look in the mirror, too. And I think when, when the reporters at the New York Times, those especially who started the 1619 Project, which is, says that America wasn't founded in 1776, that's not the origin of America. It's 1619 when the first slaves arrived. And their point is that slavery is the heart of America. Slavery is the foundation. I mean, they got it all wrong. It's not true that the revolution started to preserve slavery. Every, every serious uh, historian says that's bunk, but it's what the New York Times wants to teach. It's what it has now convinced schools to put in curriculum. Well, if the New York Times is going to take that approach, then let's examine the New York Times connection to slavery. Absolutely, that's Michael. All I'm saying. Would you also add, and this is probably a different column, what role did they play in looking the other way at the Holocaust? It, it, it is a different column, Brian, because I think that, uh, uh, and a number of people make that point, and, and it's a valid point that they, but they, but they also downplayed uh, uh, Castro, they downplayed Stalin. I mean, they've made a number of huge mistakes throughout history uh, where they've been on the wrong side of these issues. But I think the slavery issue is different. Because it is what is driving this country right now, this, the Black Lives Matter movement, this Marxist-inspired revolution that the New York Times is the chief media cheerleader for uh, and has denounced others. That, I think, is different. I mean, frankly, when it comes to anti-Semitism, um, I mean, Adolph Oakes, the, the patriarch, again, who took over the New York Times in 1896, uh, he was an anti-Zionist. He did, he did not believe in the creation of a Jewish state, although he himself was devoutly Jewish. Uh, but he died in 1935. So we don't know how he would have thought uh, coming later after the Holocaust, uh, after World War II. But I, I don't know that it's fair to, to call the times anti-Semitic, but I think it is fair to, to, to look carefully at how they covered the Holocaust because Oakes and others who succeeded him all said, we don't want to be regarded as a Jewish newspaper. And so in a way, I don't know, I don't believe they were anti-Semitic. I, I, I believe they were afraid of anti-Semitism. They were afraid of being labeled in a certain way. And so they, they hid from the label. So yes, in many ways, they shrunk from their duty as a newspaper, but not for the first time and not for the last time. But I think the slavery issue is different. It, it's not just about their failures. It's about their own sins. It's about their own conduct in the past. As you said, uh, a flowery tribute to Jefferson Davis in 1906. <laughs> at, 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 I'm sorry, at 1889. Uh, and then uh, in 1906, another flowery tribute to Jefferson Davis uh, on, the, on the centenary of his birth, and which the New York Times calls him a great Southern leader. Now, these are things that, that would get them drummed out of polite society today if people know today. about it. Right. Back then, uh, 
you look at it, and even 10 years ago, I'd say, well, isn't that interesting the way they were viewed him back then? But now you have to condemn people because they're not thinking like you're thinking right now. We take no into account the culture in which they came, the time in which they were born. And it is just ignorance. It's arrogance. It's so small-minded. I'm embarrassed uh, for this generation. Embarrassed. Because yeah. they weren't judging the previous generation like this. In the 1970s, they weren't even judging the 50s like this. But now we're doing that. Do you know what was torn down yesterday? And I'm, I'm already over. I always are with you. They turned down the statue of the Virgin Mary in Boston, Massachusetts. That is one week after they turned down another saint in San Francisco. And one week after they took down Frederick Douglass in Rochester. Just destroying our past, even the religious past. Who are these people? Michael, great job. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. one 408 Bottom of the hour, I'll talk to Andrew McCarthy. Make heads or tails of what happened with Roger Stone, uh, what happened with some of these Supreme Court decisions, and what's at stake with this next election. Don't move. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, we only got a couple minutes. I went along with Michael. My, my bad. We are still going to be talking about sports and why it's important to get them on track. School, why it's important to get these kids back to school. What do they both have in common? The coronavirus is there to stop it. We have to show more resourcefulness. And the resourcefulness, um, the resourcefulness we've already shown in different sections of the country, got to show the same thing then. That curve's going to be bent uh, in Florida, in Texas, in Georgia, in Arizona, I believe, by the time this summer's out. And I'll have another challenge. Uh, Bill was on WABC in Brooklyn. Bill, I understand there was a, a, a support the blue rally and there was a blue a Black Lives Matter rally. People t- talked about it as a conflict, was it? Well, no, not really. I mean, there was thousands of people on the uh, supporting the police. Uh, it was really a peaceful thing. There was a handful of Black Lives Matter. They were all white kids, you know, and uh, there was some middle fingering going on on our side to them. But that's, you know, there was no violence. Uh, it was kind of quiet. But I didn't see much uh, TV uh, exposure about the uh, thousands of people that were just uh, marching peacefully in favor of uh, uh, our police. And, uh, you know, they, I saw several clips on uh, five or six or ten Black Lives Matter people, but uh, not, not to be racist, but they were all white kids. That's so, not racist. Uh, you know, what are they doing? Like pawns, I think. I mean, look, it's good to have support for a cause, you know, if, uh, if there's something you believe in. But when the majority of people that don't even know what the experience is, what's going on? And are you concerned yeah. about policing in New York in particular? These numbers are stunning. I mean, it's insanity. I mean, I'm not, you know, it's just common sense. And the funny part was the Black Lives Matter group was behind a line of police who was kind of keeping the uh, the demonst- the uh, walk away from them. So they were being guarded by the very police that they want to destroy. And they were in front of you guys. Uh, killings are up in New York, in Los Angeles. New York's up 23%. 
LA's up 11%. Milwaukee, uh, homicides are up 37%. Philadelphia, all-time highs. All they have one thing in common. They all vilify their law enforcement. That's what you get. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk to Andy McCarthy. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Roger Stone has is convicted of seven felonies. For the president to take this action, um, it's certainly going to hurt politically. This isn't just about lying to Congress. That means lying to the American people. It's about our national security. There are two systems of justice now in America. One for uh, criminal friends of the president, uh, like Michael Flynn and now Roger Stone. Uh, and one for everybody else. And that is some of the left wing outrage after the president commuted, didn't pardon Roger Stone. Andrew McCarthy joins us now, Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for the southern district of this horrible place called New York, author of Ball of Collusion. <laughs> and he wrote a column about uh, this. And the headline tells it all. Trump spares Stone from imprisonment, sparking howls from uh, amnesiac Democrats. What do you mean? Are you going to try to tell me that other presidents have done th- things like this? Yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> um, I just, um, I, I thought this was, uh, it was remarkable to go back, Brian, over the, um, over the Clinton years in particular, but, you know, Clinton and Obama, who Obama had granted more pardons than any president in history. But, you know, just to, Bill Clinton pardoned his own brother, he pardoned witnesses in uh, an investigation against him. He pardoned Mark Rich uh, infamously with the help of Eric Holder. That was just a straight-out uh, political payoff. He pardoned the CIA director, his HUD secretary, and eight people who were under investigation in his agriculture department. And that was just sort of getting warmed up. That doesn't count the terrorist pardons and the other uh, politically motivated pardons. It's hilarious that um, yeah, I, I don't mean to make light uh, of of a serious situation, but to have these guys act like a Roger Stone pardon, which isn't even a pardon, as you just pointed out, it's a commutation um, to to act like you know canceling out a forty month sentence for a sixty seven or I think he's sixty seven year old guy um, under circumstances where the left on, you know, with respect to every other case that's not connected with Trump, they want everybody released on humanitarian grounds because of COVID. But it's important to them that this particular guy go to jail. It's just it's remarkable. And I saw that uh, that Obama had over 1700 commutations slash pardons during his eight years. Yeah, that's Trump right. has that's 11. A, he, he set a record. Yeah, he set a record for it. And the more infamous pardon, of course, is the, you know, he, he pardoned uh, the FL, FALN uh, terrorist uh, who hadn't asked for who hadn't asked for clemency, but they couldn't let that guy out fast enough. Uh, you know, he pardons uh, Chelsea Manning, who uh, uh, transmitted classified information to WikiLeaks, giving sensitive information to WikiLeaks 
apparently became a problem when Trump became president, but up until then, I guess, was not uh, much of a problem. But the thing people don't focus on is just like Obama tried to get the federal immigration law changed, and then on his own, he, he basically issued or decreed DACA as if, you know, after many times saying he didn't have the authority to change the law on his own, he also wanted Congress to change the federal narcotics laws. And when they didn't change it to his satisfaction, what he did was use the pardon power to slash the sentences of people who had been convicted of narcotics violations. So, you know, to say that the pardon power hasn't been politically abused uh, in modern times is just preposterous. And it is a fact of life of uh, all political power that it can be abused. The pardon power is there for a good reason. There are a number of times in the criminal justice system where you get results that are not really just results, even though the law may require them. And the president has this power in order to try to address that in particularly egregious cases. But, you know, all power can be abused. And you can pretty much bet that if you issue a pardon on Friday night, like the president did, um, or if you issue it on your way out the door on your last day in office, as Clinton did, and I think Obama's last pardons were like three days before he left office, you're probably doing something that is politically embarrassing to do. Otherwise, you would do it, you know, at high noon for everyone to see. So uh, so the fallout started. Uh, Romney came out, stunner, said nothing's ever been like that before, ever. And it turns out it's not yeah. even close to, to, close to the truth. Pat Toomey's upset by it. So the president rips him back. Did it surprise you that Robert Mueller uh, wrote a editorial or had somebody write one for him? Quote, uh, Roger Stone remains a convicted felon, and rightly so. The work of the special counsel... Uh, Its report has indictments, guilty pleas, and convictions should speak for itself, but I feel compelled to respond both to the broad claims that our investigation was illegitimate and our motives were improper, and to be specific, claims that Roger Stone was a victim of our office. The Russian investigation was of paramount importance. Stone was prosecuted and convicted because he committed felony crimes, federal crimes. He remains a convicted felon, and rightly so. What's your answer to the gist of that editorial? Well, first, I... I I think anyone who watched Mueller testify knows that Mueller didn't write that. Um, yep. You know, what we remember about Mueller. He didn't know is, the case. You know, right. He, he was asked during his testimony, you know, uh, what about, uh, I think at one point they asked him about uh, uh, the Dossier. outfit that the Democrats had. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he said, I can't answer that. I have to rely on my report. And the, you know, the people in Congress had to tell him, well, no, this is in your report. So he didn't know what was in his report or what's not in his report. Uh, he clearly uh, is not the one, I think, who wrote that. And look, they've been defending the Roger Stone prosecution from the beginning. And the Justice Department is defending the Roger Stone prosecution. Let's not forget, Attorney General Barr came in for a lot of criticism because he reduced the Justice Department's recommendation as to the sentence of Stone because the original trial prosecutors, I think, really in an over-the-top way, although I, I credit them that they were literally applying the sentencing guidelines as they're written, recommended a nine-year sentence, which was really harsh under these circumstances for a nonviolent 67-year-old first offender. 
um, who, if he wasn't connected to Trump, would be the kind of person that the left says shouldn't even be prosecuted. They'd be looking for alternative right. means of dealing with this case. But even the Justice Department, even Barr, said, I'm not looking to get rid of this guy's seven convictions. They're righteous convictions. Now, they're only process crimes. And for the Mueller people to contend that Roger Stone, uh, you know, to suggest that he was in the middle of, uh, you know, the collusion caper and he held out and protected the president, it's ridiculous. They don't have a shred of evidence that supports the idea that that Russia wanted help from Trump or anyone else to do whatever it is that Russia did. And we've since found out since the testimony before the House Intelligence Committee was released, they couldn't even have proved that Russia did it. I'm not saying that Russia didn't do it. All intelligence analysis is based on probability. But even the outfit that the Democrats hired to to right. do the analysis of the hacked server said that they couldn't prove that anything was exfiltrated, or let alone that Russia did it. So if they had had to try a collusion case, they couldn't even forget about the fact that they didn't have evidence that Trump worked with Russia. They wouldn't even have been able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Russia did it. And Roger Stone had no connection whatsoever to that. Right. Um, but so I want you to hear. He so- was prosecuted for seven process crimes that mainly involved lying about the fact that he had discussed WikiLeaks. Not that he had anything at all, any knowledge or any anything else with anything Russia was doing. So he, uh, uh, when when Mueller wrote that column, Lindsey Graham says, great, apparently Mr. Mueller is willing and also capable of defending the Mueller investigation through his op-ed in the Washington Post. So he essentially says, I think I'll call him. And Adam Schiff uh, said this, cut 46. I suspect that all Lindsey Graham wants to do is continue his counterfactual, counter-narrative, that is, that Donald Trump was somehow the victim when Donald Trump was the one inviting Russians to help him get elected in the first place. So how's how's this playing out? Well, here, here's my respectful suggestion to both of them. Um, I'd be delighted if, if Lindsey Graham was building some kind of narrative. But all I hear is that he keeps talking about, I'm going to look into this and I'm going to look into that. And I'm going to call this one. I'm going to call that one. And I've sat here for four years and nothing happened. You know, every now and then we get like, you know, one person, uh, you know, they brought poor, poor uh, Rod Rosenstein up there and he couldn't answer their questions for for three hours. And that was, uh, uh, you know, that was somewhat entertaining if you if you weren't enraged by it. But there's a lot of talk, talk, talk about how, you know, we're going to uncover this. We're going to uncover that. We're going to look into this. Um, I, I I wish that Lindsey Graham seem to have the motivation that that Adam Schiff attributes to him to, to have the energy to do at least some inquiry into what happened here. But I don't I don't actually think that they have much interest in getting to the bottom of it. And Andy McCarthy exit question. I was so disappointed to hear that Durham might wait till after the election to release his his uh, his report or release the facts or indictments. If he waits after the election, if President Trump loses, that means we'll never get any answers ever. Yeah, well, that's well, I'm not so sure about that, Brian, because if they issue if they decide to issue a report, Barr has said, and this is right, with prosecutors, the first you don't issue a report normally. So, you know, the first question is indictments. Who's going to get charged? 
Um, I think if he decides that it's going to be a report, they could always release that after the election. I think it'll anger people if they do, but they, they could do that. But I think that even now, if he were to indict people tomorrow, um, they certainly wouldn't be tried before the election. And I don't think a Biden Justice Department would follow through with the prosecution. So I think we're already in the problem that you're talking about. Uh, yeah, but we'd love to see. I'd love to see the case against some of these guys from an independent source yeah. that's been praised by Eric Holder and so many yep. other Democrats uh, to see. Go, what are, no, this you're is, right about that. Yeah. So that would I, I personally am not somebody and everyone's going to get mad at me for saying this. I don't necessarily see need to see. All these people in jail, I need to right. see them held accountable and embarrassed and have their biographies put under the fiction from nonfiction. First and foremost, James Comey's vision of reality is so different than I believe it is. I would love to see a independent source come up with that. Same thing with Peter Strzok, who continues to be defiant. Same thing with Andy McCabe with his network contract. Uh, it seems to be defiant. Lisa Page just got one, too. By acting in a way that embarrassed their institution. Do I need to see them in jail? Not really. I just don't see right. that. I don't want to see them elevated for acting this way. Yeah, look, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And, and I would say this. Ordinarily, as we discussed with, uh, with Hillary Clinton, the Justice Department is not supposed to release the evidence about people who don't get charged. But there is an exception when the Justice Department is looking into its own misconduct and it has every right to put a report out to clean its own house. And I really hope it does. And I think the sooner the better. I couldn't agree with that more. Andy, you're a, you're a great legal mind and a really good writer. I always love your columns. Thanks so much. Thanks, man. You got it. one uh, 866 we come back, let over the phones. So keep in mind, too. I know in the back of your mind, passionate, mild, passionate, interested sports fan. But what it means for society, back to normalcy, what they're doing to get there, why it's necessary for them to finish, and why it would be death, detrimental to end halfway. What football needs to do, what basketball is about to do, what baseball is on the threshold of doing, and what soccer is doing, extremely important to beating this pandemic. Uh, that story and more coming back, also with what's on your mind, including the presidential election. Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. A week ago today, identical twin girls were born that my wife and I are adopting. The twins were born prematurely. Thank God they are doing really well. Um, But they're going to have to be in the NICU for quite some time. And after much discussion with my wife and doctors, a decision that I've wrestled with, Quite a bit. Um, I've decided to opt out of the 2020 baseball season. We feel this is the best decision for these babies and for our family as well. Well, uh, that's Buster Posey. Uh, he told ABC he will not be playing the 2020 60 game Major League Baseball season. So I understand that. Everyone's got things to wrestle with. I understand too. Mike Trout, uh, by far the best player in the game, he says he's still not comfortable. 
He's going to play, but he's still not comfortable playing. They're also not comfortable with the fact they're only getting paid for the games they're playing. They're not getting the whole season. What? I wouldn't get a, if I was out for eight months. I wouldn't get paid for a year. Does anyone listening right now get paid for time they didn't play in? I, I don't know. It's impossible. Plus, there's no revenue anyway. The owners are getting killed because no one's going to the game. You know, baseball, the way the math breaks out, according to Sports Business Journal, uh, they depend more on their turnstiles than almost every other major sport outside hockey. Uh, let's go to – so I just think sports is so is so important to get going. Listen, in the bubble, I love that LeBron James is showing up without any slogan on his back, either as Anthony Davis. Uh, they actually want to win a championship, and they also think it's important to finish the season. It's going to be very tough. I don't know why they need 20 days to get ready, but they're going to play through October, have three weeks off, and start a brand-new season. That's going to be extremely tough. I think they should push that back, but just get through it. Get through it. I mean, I, the, that military attitude that they live with every day. We don't have enough guys. Find a way. We, we don't have enough facilities. They find a way. And at the same time, I, I believe the federal government, I believe the local governments, everybody's letting us down. When I hear this PPE problem five months later, when I hear this testing issues and see those lines in Houston, Texas, I'm outraged. Buskman and listen on WHIO. Uh, hey, Buskman. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thank you so much for your radio program. Um, I just want to give uh, all credit to God for this call, and I would just like to dedicate this call, uh, Mr. Kilmeade, to my father and grandfather who served in our United States Navy to uh, protect our freedoms as United States citizens. So I just want to open up with that, if that's okay, sir. Yeah, they wouldn't kneel during the national anthem, but what's on your mind? No, they would not. Um, I live here in Ohio, sir, and my 13-year-old and my 12-year-old have had um, uh, conversations with me about um, the coronavirus, uh, and you have touched on schools. And my kids, Brian, want to go to school, yep. but um, there's, just, there's just all this backlash. And as I told your screener, I said, um, COVID-19 is not affecting our lungs and our upper respiratory systems as much as it's taking over our mindset. It's just, it's just to the point to where my children are afraid. And so what their father has said to him, I said to my two children, Brian, was, honey, son, your dad, since 1969, has been getting sick over and over and over again. But you can see, daddy is fine. How many times, honey, have you gotten sick? And by the way, Brian, my daughter caught H1N1 back in its pandemic stage. Okay. She recovered, praise God. And so it's, it's, I have to remind my children of How reality. minimal the risk no- is. The minimal the risk is to kids. And they don't transfer it well to either to adults. 406 die from the flu every year. I was stunned by that. You're not going to die. Please find a way to go to school. The kids, they need a balance in their life. Brian Kilmeade Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. I hope you had a great weekend. We're back in action now. And man, there's a lot of action to discuss. Burgess Owens will be joining us. And we do have a surprise guest lined up. Burgess Owens, former Super Bowl champ with the Raiders. 
as soon as he left the Jets. And now he wants to be the next congressman from Utah. I want to get him to weigh in not only what's happening in sports as we try to get back in action. My fingers are crossed. Uh, I also want to talk to him about the whole Black Lives Matter, uh, where he stands on that. Uh, because we do want to solve race problems, racial inequity, whenever we can. But what we're seeing now with action against law enforcement is out of control. And there's this story over the weekend, two Texas cops were gunned down. And at a uh, call that, according to some, should have been handled by a social worker. You know what happened? Roughly, there was, a, there was word of a domestic dispute. As soon as the cops knocked on the door, the door swung open. The guy shot them both dead in cold blood. And do you know when the when his daughter wrote a heartfelt letter to her dad who had just passed away, uh, heart wrenching, it ended with hashtag blue lives matter. And she got so much backlash, she deleted it on the day her dad was assassinated. That's how nuts this is. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. Well, I think you have to look at the big picture if you're a player. Uh, number one, if the players, if the season's canceled, they're going to lose $2 billion in the next couple of years. So I think that's the main reason they have to play, if it's possible. Uh, Charles Barkley, uh, the analyst, he's going to go back to work in Orlando, and he's very skeptical. Sports, the most critical time in modern sports history since World War II. How we can find a way to play safely and smartly. Soccer's doing it. Baseball's about to. Basketball's reporting for duty. Why they need to play it through. Number two. There's no support for the men and women of the New York City Police Department. Every week we're hearing something from City Hall regarding a new policing model, which clearly is not working. They're not doing anything for anyone. People feel like there's no law enforcement. There's no law and order in the streets. Uh, Sheriff Errol Toulon of Suffolk County, New York. Law and disorder. City to city, we're seeing the result of vilifying law enforcement as New York City begins to look like Chicago in the worst possible way. With a shooting surge. Number one. We are all very concerned about what the virus is doing right now. We are in a much better place than we were in April because of a lot of things. This is not uh, out of control, but it requires a, a lot of effort, and everybody's going to have to do their part. Uh, that was Admiral Brett Giroir. He is pretty much leading the public face of the federal administration's, the federal government's push to solve the, the COVID crisis. Where we're at, what we need to do, why we have to have our schools open regardless. We're going to look at what other countries are doing and what is working. Uh, some of the numbers are stunning in the COVID-19 crisis. We have to uh, get more PPE. we got to get more antibody tests. Whatever happened to plasma? Why is it so hard to give it for those people who have the antibodies? Also in San Diego, they're waiting 10 days for test results. You know how high taxes are in San Diego? They don't have the financing for better test results. In Houston, Texas, they're calling for a complete shutdown. Of that city with lines wrapped around the block, the city that overcame the flood by using their own boats didn't complain uh, for a day or overwhelmed by this COVID crisis. Uh, just having all these waitings, the record hospitalizations over the last 12 days. Uh, I hope the worst is over. I don't think it is. We have to find a way to solve this. There's no story bigger. Joining me now is... One of the ramifications of what's happening in this country, sports. And you might not think it's a big deal, but it's a huge deal. Not only for everyone's psyche, for the players, for the people around it. Uh, I think for normalcy, it's a business. Jack Curry is an award-winning sports journalist. And he is uh, um, he is 
going to offer analysis with Yes Network. You know, he does all the Yankee games. He's also the author of Full Count, The Education of a Pitcher, all about David Cohn, and it's going to come out in paperback shortly. Uh, Jack, kind of exciting. Baseball's reporting for duty in their respective stadiums. What's it been like for you as we try to start again a season? It's a strange and surreal intense time in our world, Brian. I just heard you talking about some of the things that are going on. I've been working from the S Network studio, so I have not been at the stadium, but I've been part of the conversations that the Yankees have had with the media, and the the protocol is no more than 35 media members in a press box that you've been there, probably seats 200, everyone's socially distanced, no one-on-one interviews, every interview comes via Zoom. And within everything that's going on in the world, you realize you're not blind to everything that's going on in the world. But as Aaron Boone, the Yankee manager, said, he has a job to do. He has to try and get the Yankees prepared to win a championship. So that's the approach I've taken. I have a job for the Yes Network, too, and that's to analyze what's going on in the field. And I'm actually very proud of the coverage we've given of intra-squad games. Uh, Imagine... Ten years ago, if you told someone you were doing four hours of coverage of an intra-squad game, Yankees versus Yankees, but people are that starved to see sports. But you love the you love the fundamentals of the game. You're actually one of these people, Jack, that actually loves this, right? I mean, you like the nuances. You like the interaction. But it's not necessarily entertaining. But when you gave us Korean baseball on ESPN – that I ha- I'm ready for something else. No offense to the Korean Baseball Network or who's ever televising that. So a couple of things. It's going to be a 60-game sprint, and I can't wait to talk about the nuances of that. But already the Yankees got slammed in the face with reality. Uh, their number one, the number one stopper maybe in the game, Chapman, tests positive for the virus. We don't know when he's coming back. Right, and before the workouts even started, Brian, they they lost their best player from last year, finished fourth in the MVP voting, DJ LeMayhew, also a reliever, Luis Sessa. They both tested positive Forgot before they got to New York. So in order for them to come back, or any player who tests positive, you have to have two negative tests consecutively. They have to be separated by more than 24 hours. They have to go without a fever for three days. And there are a few other requirements, obviously, Medical professionals have to clear you. But you're right. The other day, the news with Chapman, once workouts had started, LeMahieu and Sessa hadn't been there yet. So you sort of were under the impression that, okay, they they had it. They're away from the team right now. You hope that their path back to health is, is a clear one. But we had seen Chapman working out. He was part of everything that was going on. So, Brian, I think every team understands they're going to have some players that test positive. But... There's definitely a jolt when it hits you the way it hit the Yankees the other day with a, with a as you said, a formidable closer like Chapman. Well, formidable, that smile. That's, you really try not to be a Yankee fan. Uh, Mike Trout. You don't like formidable? What would you, elite? How's elite? <laughs> no, I said he was the best. And I thought as a Yankee guy, I thought you were going to say uh, the best. Uh, here's Mike Trout. Um, you know, he epitomized the, the Jack, you know, a Jack Armstrong, John Henry type guy. He, he surprised me with this, this mindset cut 37. Honestly, still don't feel comfortable. Um, you know, obviously with the, with the baby coming, there's a lot of stuff going through my mind right now. My wife's mind, my family, just trying to be the safest and most cautious way to get, uh, through a season. You know, I'm just, I, I've told Billy, I told a bunch of the guys, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. I gotta, I gotta be really cautious these next few weeks. I think the biggest thing is, you know, obviously I don't want to test positive and I don't want to bring it back to my wife. 
So, so Mike Trout says, staying with that mindset, he's going to go out there anyway. You talk to a lot of people like that, Jack? I think that any player who feels the way that Mike Trout does, or for instance, Buster Posey of the San Francisco Giants who opted out this season, he and his wife are adopting twin babies who are right now uh, still, they were born prematurely. I have total respect for anyone whose family comes ahead of their job in this situation. Uh, Mike Trout and his wife are expecting their first baby. I heard anxiety in his voice. I, I heard some tension and fear in his voice. I think that's natural. Now, again, I must say, Brian, players like Mike Trout and Buster Posey, who have earned millions on top of millions, they can do that. People think that every major league player is a millionaire. They're not. If you're the journeyman type player who's trying to hang on this year, if you're a young guy who's trying to grab a roster spot, you probably don't have that flexibility. But someone like Mike Trout, who, as you said, kind of the face of the game, I understand where his anxiety is coming from. Jack Curry's with us. He wrote uh, a great book. Uh, it is called uh, Full Count, The Education of a Pitcher. It's coming out in paperback shortly. One of the most interesting people you'll meet, David Cohn, uh, about how he became who he became. But, Jack, let's think about what the game's going to look like. We know that the stadium's going to be empty. But last night, I watched a USL game. For those people who don't know soccer, it's the AAA of soccer below the MLS. They played with the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. It was a 24,000-seat stadium. They had about 3,000, and they were spread out. You know, families sat together, and they were spread out. It was probably like, tw- you know, maybe 1,200 to two, two or 3,000. It's hard to tell. But it was empty, but there was noise. What can you guys do in baseball? Yes, that's been talked about. And Yankee players have talked about the idea of pumping in noise during games. I've reached out to some Yankee officials and asked them about that. They said they're still configuring their plan, and I respect that. The Yankees don't have a home game for a couple of weeks still, so I think they're trying to figure that out. Players have said, Brian, that they would be receptive to that because you're right. In a 50,000-seat stadium like Yankee Stadium, when it is totally empty, you'd want some sort of noise. Hal Steinbrenner, the Yankee owner, did, did an interview with Meredith Morakovitz of our network not too long ago where he said the hope is that before the season ends, the Yankees might be able to have 20 to 30% of the stadium uh, capacity. And as you said, socially distanced, uh, wearing masks, making all the smart moves that you have to make, but you could have some people in the stadium. Let's hope we get to that point. We don't know where this virus is going. I want to be as optimistic as possible. Let's hope we get to that point. But it would be nice to be able to see what you just described from that soccer game. So, so Jack, I understand they can't shower in the locker room. Uh, they're going to shower at home. No, that was an, that was something that was originally in an original plan, Brian, and that was something that was then collectively bargained, and, and that is not true anymore. That was one thing that was changed. The players are they're okay. still using the showers and everything in the, in the clubhouse. Right. What so, the Yankees have done is they have a home clubhouse a visiting clubhouse and then an auxiliary clubhouse they've spread all their players out they've staggered their workouts so for instance some of the younger guys they have 60 guys the guys who are kind of listed as the 40 to 60 guys they work out early in the morning and they're gone before the main guys then get there and they spread those guys out one of the yankees young pitchers michael king said most of them wear masks, if not all of them, in the clubhouse. And he said it does sort of limit your conversation because you have a mask on, you're spread out from your teammates, and it's not that usual camaraderie that you are used to. But in 2020, there's a lot of things, millions of things that we're not used to anymore. 
Right. Uh, Jack, I want you to hear what Aaron Boone just said, manager of the Yankees. I feel like we're following all protocols. Um, We have not had any other positive tests. We've adhered to all the contact tracing things. So we feel like, you know, we've handled it and are, are handling it. And again, you know, this is something that even moving forward, you know, a positive test is probably going to come our way. And it's about doing all the things that hopefully as a whole keep us safe and, and healthy. Um, but right now we feel like um, we're doing a good job in here of, of, of managing. So, Jack, to tell me if you think I'm wrong here. In World War II, famously, all these players, Yogi Berra, the prime of their careers, Ted Williams twice, goes and fights in Korea, goes and fights in World War II. You just lose the player as if they, they're out for the year. Should they have the same mindset? Hey, Aaron Judge uh, tested positive. You got a big uh, three-game series against the Red Sox. Okay. You know, more flexibility to bring up younger guys and just persevere through it. I'm really concerned that two MLS teams picked up and left. Dallas never came. Nashville went home. Rather than dip into their minor league roster, do you think the mindset is we'll find a way, or I'll, at any moment I could end this? I think the mindset for Major League Baseball and the players' union was they're going to find a way. They had a contentious negotiation. We we, we don't need to rehash that. But I think their belief is with this plan that they've enacted, and I have the operations manual. It's more than a hundred pages that they think there is a pathway to have a season, Brian. And that doesn't mean there aren't going to be obstacles after obstacles and, and potholes and things that get in the way and players testing positive. That, that cut you just played from Boone, that was his comment right after they revealed the news about Chapman. As soon as the Chapman news is found out, the Yankees have to do contact tracing. Who was Chapman around? Now, the Yankees didn't specify how many players had to then maybe go get further testing. But Chapman was on the field. He was in the bullpen. So, so you're right in the sense that this is going to be a challenge for every team. And if you have a guy that tests positive, you just hope that it was contained to that one guy. And we all know that's not going to happen with every team. We could have a team that ends up getting several players positive. And what happens if you lose half of your starting rotation, half of your infield, half of your outfield? I think Major League Baseball is hoping and praying that doesn't happen. But I'm aware of what happened in the soccer league. And I really hope that doesn't even come close to happening in Major League Baseball. Yeah, some rule changes. Both teams will have a DH. They'll have a 60-man, uh, 30 active players, 60-man player pool, which I love. Um, and extra innings will begin with a runner on second base. It's going to be a 60-game season. I can't wait, Jack. We have you back, and we just talk about uh, you know winning streaks and losing streaks and who's out of it and who's not. And Everyone knows the horrible start the Nationals got off to last year, and they end up being world champions. So that, that you can't be a world champion with a bad start this time. Uh, Brian, they were 28-32 and 32 after 60 games last year, so that just tells you <laughs> don't – don't have a losing streak during this 60-game run, or, or, or you're not going to be one of the teams playing in October. Look forward to full count. That's bendable on paperback. Jack Curry, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Talk to you soon. You got from the Yes Network. Back in a moment with you. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
Yeah, welcome back. I went a little bit long, but we have a lot to we had a lot to discuss in that uh, first block. Burgess Owens at the bottom of the hour. He won the Republican primary and tried to get Mia Love seat back in the in Mia Love's yeah Mia Love seat back in the Republican Party over in Utah, the Republican column, I should say. But he's currently trailing. But I want to get Burgess Owens' take on that, on sports, and on race relations in America and where we stand, what the president can do. I think it's embarrassing Republicans get single digits sometimes, uh, single digits sometimes in in African-American support. I think it's embarrassing they don't do better since George Bush, the first in in his first term, should be close to 50, 60 percent in Hispanic support to judge them by uh, what they believe in, their their family structure, their family first attitude. They're uh, not to generalize, but some of the most hardest working people I've ever met, Hispanic, and number one, I play with them. You play against them, man. You better bring your shin pads. They play full contact all the time. They seem natural uh, Republicans, you know, grind it out to do whatever it takes uh, to rise up and be successful. So in those two areas, I wish for them to look. I look for Republicans to make some inroads. And Burgess Jones is the type of guy to do that. And I'd love to get his take on that. We will discuss it also. Um, it's going to be an exciting week because we're going to see more baseball. We're also going to see a little bit more of soccer. They're going to start week three this week. So they lost one team, but what we're seeing now is them pushing their way through. Disney's working. Hotels are working. Food's being delivered. We're not seeing a myriad of positive tests. And I'll tell you what, the games don't look that bad because they built a big wall. They put a big wall there, and it looks almost like the Fenway wall, and it doesn't look as empty as empty stands do. Some have uh, some baseball. They've asked to. They've said, if you had hold on to your season tickets, you can put a cutout of yourself in that seat. I don't think I'd ever do that, but it's nice to have that option, I guess. They also put a blur to make it looks like it's crowded. Soccer's master that make the stadium look crowded. American soccer, anyway. Uh, more with you and your calls in just a moment. You'll listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You know, we have a great disparity in this country between the rich and the poor. And the one thing this virus is going to do is going to magnify it. You know, some of these schools are talking about uh, having 10 to 12 to 15 kids in school and the rest of the kids learn from home. Yeah. A lot of these, a lot of these kids who are at home, they don't have access to the Internet and computers and things like that. And that's really going to make the gap between the rich and the poor explode even more. So this is a very crucial time in our country. And uh, I just hope we get some adults who know what they're doing and stop screwing around and dividing the country. Uh, That is Charles Barkley uh, letting us have it uh, as a country and let the sports world know, you know, he knows what's at stake, but he's not sure we should be doing this. I think we should be doing this. I'm glad we're going back to it. Uh, Hopefully people work together and get it going. A guy that knows the, the, the break between sports and life is Burgess Owens. He wants to be. Uh, the next congressman from Utah in the 4th District that Mia Love had before. He wants to put it back in the R column and a former uh, Oakland Raider as well as New York Jet. Burgess, welcome back. Brian, looking forward to chatting with my friend. And, and just to those your audience, it's Burgess for Utah. I want to put that out there real quick so we don't forget. But uh, Burgess for Utah. Uh, so so much people for around the country Chris. want to support you. Burgess for Utah. <laughs> 
and, and just to make a point, uh, and uh, this is truly one of the, I think everybody understands, this is a time in history that we need to all be able to be engaged and, and really stand up. Uh, and this particular district between one and three of must-have of both sides, I believe personally, Brian, that we get the House back, put some backbone into the Senate, and give our president a chance to really uh, continue to envision what uh, Love America First looks like. Uh, the next four years could be a remarkable renaissance for us. So we just have to keep hopeful and, and recognize that we, we, we come we win once we understand we're in the battle. And right now we're in, in, the, in, the, in the fight of our cultural life. So let's make, make sure this happens. So the Larry Sabato's crystal ball still has the seat leaning Democrat, Congressman uh, Ben McAdams. I know you just won the primary about a week or so ago. Go ahead. Yes, it's a, it's a plus 13 uh, seat. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a district that truly uh, represents the values of our nation. Uh, I believe at the end of the day, uh, we're going to be more engaged than ever before coming out of this because we all know what's at risk. And again, it's just a matter of getting the message out. And my message is one that unifies not only Democrats, but uh, independents and Republicans who love our country. And we have to understand those of us who love our country, we need to come together at this point because we have to defeat the, 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 the Marxist socialist ideology that's been gnawing away at our, at our institutions for a long time. We're now seeing it in our streets. We cannot afford to let that evil come into our neighborhoods and to our school systems continually and, uh, and divide us. So uh, I, I, love, I love what Charles Barkley had to say, by the way. Uh, we are, we, you know, he's, a, he's a Democrat, I'm a Republican, but we both love our country. And he's so right. We need to, we need to understand that uh, our kids are at risk. And if we can't educate our kids and get them hopeful and educated and thinking, critical thinking, we don't have a future. So let's make sure we don't allow the left to continue their process of keeping our kids out of school, uh, to keep our economy um, uh, 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 going in the wrong direction by, by parents not having the chance to go out and work uh, to do what they, they, they need to do. And Charles Barkley bumped in. We bumped in with him saying that, you know, the kids that are going to be hurt the most are the ones that can afford at least. And they can't go home and even go on Zoom, which is, which is ineffective. Nothing against Zoom. It's just hard to learn. Remotely, that's why people do mostly choose not to do it, especially if you're in grammar yeah. school. But Burgess, think about this: if you if you dial back and defund police, guess who's going to be hurt? The working class oh, community. Yeah. And guess what? If yeah. you keep kids out of school because it might be too dangerous, and there's a risk, we get it. Guess who's going to get hurt? The people that can afford at least those in in working class areas, uh, uh, disenfranchised areas, perhaps in some cases, the people with single parent families or group homes, they have no base to build off of for lunch, for learning, for uh, for resources. Yeah, well, this is this is what the left does. Um, they use misery as a political strategy. They always have. And you're right. You think about who's going to be hurt the most by this are those who trust them the most. Uh, and I go back to what's happened in the state of California with 75% of the black boys in the state of California can't pass standard reading and writing tests. Or Boston, where we have 13 schools in which uh, the kids there are, have zero proficiency in math. Now, these, the, the places where we need the most help has always been the place that the left continues to attack and, 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 uh, and make sure they're miserable. So this is, it's all about our kids. It's all about helping us to get to that point where we have this, this economic, uh, quote, cross-line opportunity. How about it? let's make sure we educate ourselves, educate our kids and our, and our, our youth about our American free, free market way. And what's neat about the, 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 um, uh, the entrepreneur 
But let the entrepreneurial mindset come into the picture. We always figure out a way how to get around obstacles. That's, that's what drives our nation is a great group of small business owners and that, that mentality of entrepreneurship. Anyone who runs a program, anyone that goes out takes a risk, understands what I'm talking about, you figure out how to get around obstacles. We do the same thing in the school system as long as we don't let the leftists take the lead on this. They will never come up with solutions because they don't know how. Until they if, think if, the way we do, and we have to get around that. But, Burgess, what bothers me is I believe this. That if uh, Joe Biden wins in November, there's going to be a massive push among Democrats to get kids back to school, uh, to open up indoor dining. Uh, This is totally, let's keep this economy flat, make people feel upset and disconcerted, make them feel they need change. Yes. What what is America all about, Brian, when you think about it? We are a place of hope. We're a place that that dreams big. We always come out. So the reason why people come here and take that risk, they want to be uh, hopeful about their future, their their kids, their family name. And everything that the left is doing right now is about hopelessness. Think about what they're doing. They tear down our history. They tear down our culture. They tear down us as being together. All the things they do is to divide us and make us hopeless. Uh, Every time, every place that they have a place, a a, a seat at the the table, look at every single urban community in our country. There's nothing but hopelessness because that's what they do best. So we have to come together, guys. It has has nothing to do with party. It's about our country at this point, about our culture, about our future, and our kids. Those of us who really believe in that, we need to come together now. Put out, put our differences aside, and let's talk about the things that really do make make us all one. A great future right. for our kids. We cannot allow Biden and our entire leftist Marxist side to do what they're doing is continue to put our country down and make us hopeless and hapless. Uh, that's their goal. We can't let that allow that, allow that to, have, allow to happen. Well, the New York Times editorial board says you got to reopen the schools. But you got to do it smart. Uh, the New York Times, of all things. Then you have uh, Scott Gottlieb, the doctor who had so much respect with inside the Trump administration, will not hesitate to be critical, says we have to reopen the schools safely. He says, look at Germany, look at uh, Norway, look at Belgium. Uh, they look at Greece, look at Switzerland. Guess what they have in common? Denmark. They all opened their schools. Israel opened and they didn't have success. So they're redoing it. They're learning from it, but they're trying to do it. Sitting on the sidelines saying it's too dangerous to me is not the American way. And I'll, I'll, I'll minimize it and talk about something that you know better than anybody. Is that in sports, sometimes you got massive injuries, the field is terrible, the refs are against you, and the crowd is hostile. Do you quit? Or do you find a way? Find a way is the mindset you need in everything you do, correct? Find, find a way is the American way. Matter of fact, playing with the Raiders, Al Davis had a theme, and it said it all. It didn't matter what the obstacles were, how many people were injured, uh, what the team looked like. The concept was just win, baby. That is our, that's our way here in America. And keep in mind, if you allow the leftists who never think about how to win uh, in our terms, they're trying to win in terms of beating President Trump, keeping our country depressed, angry, upset, and divided. They, they really do believe, because they don't understand the American people. They believe that is a way to get to their, their, their future and their power. Americans aren't that way. We, 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 we innately, we're against anything that pushes us like in that direction. We are a hopeful country. So, yes, we, there's an answer out there. And it's, it's not uh, depriving our kids from their education, coming together and showing them that we can figure out a way to get this done with. So let's, let's just put our brain power to work, guys, and understand it's all about our children, not about the power. And what's right. the difference between us and the left? Burgess, can I go back to your other career with sports? Because Barkley was speaking out and... Obviously, he sees inequity in society. We want to find a way to rebalance things, make it better. I want to level the playing field. I don't want to walk by um, um, 
uh, towns that are mostly black or Hispanic that are struggling, that feel as though they can't get out of their own uh, way, that there's no hope for them in this country, whether it's rea- reality or not, it's their reality. But Barkley yeah. said this about what sports is. He, he feels they're overdoing it with the slogans and causes on the back of their shirts, with their own national anthem in the NFL. Listen to what he said. See if he can get behind it. Cup 55. We are in a divided country. And sports used to be a place where fans could go and get away from reality. And now it's such a mixture. I think it's going to be fascinating watching what happens with the fans. And obviously the fans are at such a disadvantage because they're going through the pandemic and they don't want to see a bunch of rich people uh, talking about stuff all the time. I think it's a, uh, like I say, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but you know, these people all have lost their jobs. They're struggling financially. They're not going to get their jobs back. And the last thing they want to do is turn on the television and hear uh, arguments about stuff all the time. So when they give interviews and they're all wearing Black Lives Matter shirts or or Travion Martin or whoever they want, is that a problem or do you think it's a just cause? No, it's actually a problem. And for folks out there, uh, understand, look at this Google, Black Lives Matter, Inc., BLM, Inc., is nothing but a Marxist organization. They, they, they thrive on divisiveness. They're not about black lives. So that being said, uh, what, we, what we love about sports is it brings us together, just like we love about our flag. Just, that's what we love about patriotism is an emotion that comes up that we just feel we can't explain. It, it's not logical. We, we just we love the feelings we have. That's what the left wants to take away from us, and they're using sports to do that. And it's only because we have an education system that these young men are coming through. They've been taught to become Marxists because that's the, the system that they're, they've been driven through. So, uh, so we, we have to understand this. The end of the game, the end of the day, the, reason, the way we get our country back is, is to build the middle class. Middle class is built by business ownership. In my community in Tallahassee, Florida, we had 50 to 60 percent in the 60s, 50 to 60 percent of black Americans were part of the middle class because we had so many entrepreneurs. Forty percent of us were entrepreneurs. It's now down to 3.8 percent. We need to make sure our young people understand free market is where you, if you truly want to get get an equity in terms of building a future and dream, take the risk, learn how to run, run a business, find out how to serve other people. If you do that and not divide us, anyone can make it in this nation. And that's what it teaches those in, in our country, particularly blacks, the black Americans who have not been taught that. Uh, so, yeah, we have a way out. It's first of all, educating ourselves, uh, tying into what makes us great. And equity base is based on meritocracy. We can, we can, through merit, get ourselves any place we want to get to. And that is no more prevalent than in this great country we are living in, where anybody can do it if they decide they want to work at it and be honest and, and love people and, and serve people and get them to like you enough to buy your products. I mean, that's what it comes down to. So we can get that done with for sure. You know, it's so interesting. I'm reading the Booker T. I read Booker T. Washington's book, and he talked about the Tuskegee School, and it was right after the Civil War, and obviously the, the racial division was never as divided as it was then. And what they did is teach everybody a skill, and I'm sure I can't tell you anything you don't know, but for the audience, they taught everybody a skill and then made them go in the classroom and learn a skill. And to win over the town, uh, they would drop off wagons and say, guys, use this if you want. And then they would make their own bricks and they would sell them to the town or give them to the town to build their own buildings. When they saw what an asset the Tuskegee School and the students said and teachers were to the community, they begin to drop their prejudice and say, wow, I like wow. these guys. 
And and he used to personally knock on doors in New York City as a black man 10 years after the Civil War and say, hi, I got this school, definitely needs financing. And the Andrew Carnegie's of the world, the other people, some slammed their doors and others opened up their wallets. They refused. He refused to see the problems. He would only try to find the solution. And I'm not saying we can all do that. He was a special guy. But when you see what he was able to do in the 1870s, think about what we can do in 2020. Brian, you just nailed it. My goodness, you summarized that well. And for those who don't know the story, that's the American dream. That's what it's all about. Uh, but, but he started Tuskegee in 1882. By 1905, that little town in, in Tuskegee was producing more self-made millionaires than Harvard, Yale, and Princeton combined. That idea, his concept of, of education, of faith, of industry and family, allowed the black community in the 40s, 50s, and 60s to lead the country in the growth of middle class, men matriculate from college, uh, uh, percentage of entrepreneurs, all those great things. And so you're right, it can happen, but we have to teach those concepts, like those tenets, and, 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 and realize this. He, he also said something else. He talked about problem profiteers, that there'll always be that. If they don't want to lose their jobs, there'll always be problem profiteers. I call them poverty pimps. We will have that, and that's what's going on today, that wants to divide us. We need to be honest about, the first of all, the options we have in this country and those who are against us, blacks and whites who are elitists, who have no idea what the American people are all about, the American dream. And if we understand that, we can come together and together make it through this process by, by voting for our culture, not the leftist, not the Marxist dream, which is one of nothing but misery, has always been. Right, and last, my last anecdote for you, just to paraphrase it, Frederick Douglass, before he escaped to freedom, we used to work as a caulker uh, in Baltimore. And he would be walking, working next to white kids who were getting paid. He'd have to give all his money to his master, so to speak. And the yeah. kids his age treated him like an equal. And he would leave going, wait a second, they don't care about – this is in 1850, so probably 1848. And he would walk back and he'd go, you know, I'm going to have to wait for the older people to die because the kids my age, they don't see any difference. Think about how, right. how hopeful he was in the 1840s. All they had to do was break down the barriers that their parents told them about and create their own reality. It, it's all about meritocracy. Let me just real quick story. I left the NFL uh, in 83. Uh, seven years later, my, my business that I was, was putting everything into went under. I had to start all over again. I was taught by my dad any work that's hard and, and, and honest is a good job. I was a chimney sweep for a little bit in New York City, in Brooklyn, a security guard at night, but I always had hope. I knew this is a place, the country of second chances. I have faith in my Heavenly Father, who's also a God of second chances. And if I, my, our message to each other should be this. If I can do it, you can do it. Every one of us go through those tough times. Everyone does. And the fact is we make it through, our job is to make sure that those coming behind us have the same hope they can do the same. That's what those great men you just mentioned were able to do. In the worst of times, they gave an entire uh, uh, population, the community, uh, uh, community, nothing but hope. So, uh, okay. uh, Brian, thank you so much. That's, no that, problem, that history hey, is so important to, to talk about, for right. sure. You got it, sir. And uh, go, when it comes to taking on Congressman Ben McAdams, just win, baby. Burgess Owens, <laughs> thanks so much. <laughs> you go get him. Bye. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, I think you have to look at the big picture if you're a player. Uh, number one, if the players, if the season's canceled, they're going to lose $2 billion in the next couple of years. Uh, and that's a lot of money for these players. So they could, and obviously, that's their money, and also they could put it back 
in their communities. So I think that's the main reason they have to play, if it's possible. Yeah, uh, that would help. So Charles is all over the place, but I totally agree with him. That I, I think the fact that LeBron is not putting a saying on his back shows that maybe he knows it's over the top. Um, Joe in Los Angeles. Joe. Hey, Brian. Um, listening at your affiliate, KTMS in Santa Barbara here. Um, okay. Very simple. Um, the federal government allocates, I want to talk about this new fad of defunding police departments. Federal government allocates certain amount of grants and money that goes to the states and municipalities for police protection. As a matter of fact, the federal government exerts so much power over that that Obama was able to use the carrot of that money to get a bunch of these police departments to sign consent decrees to agree to some anti-police brutality measures and so forth. But the bottom line is this. Why is the, why is the federal government paying all these municipalities money for police protection if they're not going to spend that money on police protection? And Trump needs to immediately cut that money off if they're not going to spend it for the police. He needs to cut them off right now. I say uh, uh, fund the police. Joe, that's a great idea. It's a great idea. Uh, Make Joe Biden weigh in on this because he's already gotten caught by one supporter saying, I'll redirect funds. That's bad. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.